Good morning, church. It's good to be with you again this morning. Normally, I bring you greetings from India, but I haven't been there in 15 months because of the travel ban and COVID and all that. So we've been Zooming instead. And by God's grace, we've actually gotten a lot more accomplished in terms of training than when we were traveling. And so if you'd asked me a year and a half ago if we were going to do online training, I'd always say, I just can't imagine that working. And so we've invested a bunch of money and equipment and, and made it work by God's grace. And so we don't know when we're going back, but we're getting a lot done. So uh, thank you for your support and your prayers, and we appreciate that a lot. This morning, we're in Ephesians chapter 1. Uh, you can turn there or read on the screen, and uh, let's stand as we read the text together. Ephesians 1, beginning in verse 15, hear the word of God. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe? And thus ends the reading of God's word. May he add his blessing to it. You can have a seat. So a couple of months ago, we divided up this text and this, uh, this passage and this prayer, and, uh, it, 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 and so we decided it would go Henley, Whittle, and then Weber. And so I thought, hey, I get to be the cream of the Oreo, the middle part and the best part to eat, right? And so Sherry and I came last week expecting to hear a great sermon from Andrew to begin the thing. And with abject horror, I sat in the back there. We always sit with the silers in the back. And I, I sat with horror as his first point was exactly the same as my first point that I was going to preach. And it was right then that I realized that I wasn't the cream in the middle of the Oreo, but I was the bologna in the middle of the stale lunch bologna sandwich, and I'd have to redo the whole thing. So I have three things that I want to share with you this morning, three aspects of the gospel that I want to bless you with. And the first is the spirit of wisdom and revelation or knowledge. You know, Paul would have been a great production engineer, I think, or program manager, because he understands, it's clear that he knows that in order to get the product that you want, at the end of the assembly line, it requires the right components combined in the right way. And in this case, the product is found in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 1. I'm sure we'll eventually get there, but here it is on your screen. I therefore, prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. That's what we're shooting for in this in, in, in this epistle is to walk worthy of the calling to which you've been called. And so Ephesians chapters four through six are a series of commands that reveal the details of this product. And the summary is right here, to walk 
worthy of your calling. And so then the way Paul lays it out is Ephesians chapter 1 through chapter 3 are a whole series of facts of gospel ingredients that are mixed in with two powerful prayers that bring the product to market. And that product is to walk worthy of your calling. And so whenever I'm studying Paul, I always like to go backwards because he has long sentences with lots of commas and plenty of parentheses and you can really get lost easily and instead the thing to do is to go to the end of the paragraph that he's talking about and figure out what the goal is and to go backwards and so that's what we're doing what does it take to walk worthy well the answer when you look back through these three chapters is that you have to know God and all that he has done for you in the past and is doing in you in the present. And then you have to pray for it all to work. So your, your, your church has spent a, a great amount of time studying the enormous gospel facts in Ephesians 1, all of them vital ingredients, but, but they have to have the right chemistry to get the product which is walking worthy. And that's what we're shooting at. And one of the things I've noticed over the years is that pastors often get frustrated because the, their church isn't going the way they think it should. And, uh, and so in the PCA, at least, in our denomination, our pastors are all bookish men who preach sermons that are good and sensible and, and reasonable. And since they're preaching the Bible, they, they just assume that they've done what they need to do with a logical and clear sermon that explains the text and reveals the riches of the word. And yet people don't respond the way that the pastor would hope, not, not the way they should. And the reason for that is in this text right here. What we see here in this passage is the flame. It's the high heat that's necessary to take the reasonable truth of Scripture and then produce supernatural fruit. The, the high heat is the work of the Spirit in answer to Spirit-filled prayer. Prayer engages God's Spirit with the Word. So Paul here is praying that a spirit of revelation would move beyond our reasoning and bring the personal, intimate knowledge necessary to live in gospel hope that creates obedience and joy. In other words, to walk worthy. And it's the Spirit of God, see, who reveals the objective truth that's found in your Bible. The Spirit wrote your Bible, and, and then it's the same Spirit who reveals that same Bible to you in a personal way so that you and I will believe and live according to the truth. You see, the facts are the same from that Bible, but the work of the Spirit is unique in every person. So, so when Presbyterians... Like uh, start arguing about whether Revelation is still alive or not. It, it always makes me laugh. Because if the Spirit of God is not still in the Revelation business, then this prayer by Paul is meaningless for us. And we should just skip this text and move on to chapter 2. What's fixed, you see, is your Bible. It's done, complete, nothing to be added but you see, reason alone will not open the eyes of your heart to behold the glorious riches of our inheritance. If all it took was good reason, then the smartest people would always be believers and children and others would just be left out. 
Prayer is also essential for understanding and fruitfulness because prayer engages the spirit with the word. So Paul prays here. He's laid out all these facts and now he's going to pray. Bringing intense heat and he says he does it without ceasing for these beloveds. Wow, without ceasing. He's constantly praying for the beloved to understand the truth of the gospel. And, and if you read through the epistles of Paul, you'll find that this is how he always prays for the believers. He prays for them to understand gospel facts. When you look at Colossians 1 and verse 9 and 10, he has a great prayer there that's identical to the one here in Ephesians, that the spirit of wisdom and knowledge would engage them so that they'd understand the hope of their calling. And then when you look in Ephesians chapter 3 that we'll get to eventually in this book, you'll, Paul prays that, that uh, we would be strengthened and rooted and established in the love of Christ and that we would experience the fullness of God. In Romans chapter 1, verse 8, Paul gives thanks for the, 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 their faith of the Roman church that's being reported all over the world. And, and then in 1 Thessalonians 1, at the beginning, he uh, thanks God for the work, their work that's produced by faith, and then he prays for their, th their hope, their love and their hope to be established in Christ. And then later in that same book of 1 Thessalonians, he prays that they would be blameless and holy in God's presence. And then in 2 Thessalonians, in chapter 1, he gives thanks because their faith and their love are growing and they're known as the church of love. And then just a few verses later, he prays that they would walk worthy of their calling, that they would have power for every good purpose of God, and that they would walk in acts of faith. And so when I read these prayers, it, it challenges me as a man of God, and it drives me in my prayers for you. And, and it makes me wonder what your prayer life looks like. Are, are you lighting the flame of gospel truth for the people that you know and love? So I thought very practically we might practice this morning. So we're going to look at Philippians 1, and we're going to pray that through. So let's put that up on the board. Here's the prayer. And it's my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Now you could pull this apart and spend quality time praying for other people, just praying that a phrase at a time and digging into it. What we're going to do is very simple this morning. We're going to pray this right now, and you're all going to pray. We're going to pray Korean style. That means you pray out loud at the same time. And we're not going to do it in unison, so it's not going to be just us chanting this prayer together. What I want you to do is substitute the word your, the personal pronouns here, with somebody sitting next to you or near you. And if you're by yourself, just pick somebody to pray for. I'm by myself. I'm going to pray for Sherry this morning. And so we're going to pray out loud together. This is really hard for Presbyterians to do. It's really hard for Americans to do. You're going to be really shy. I want you to be bold this morning and pray. And, and you don't have to use my voice. Mine's not the standard. But you can pray loudly at least or out loud. And so that's what we're going to do. Y'all ready? This is easy. 
This will start you down the road of praying Paul's prayers. You have the person you're going to pray for in mind? Here we go. Let's pray. Our Father, we pray this morning together that your love, would, that Sherry's love would abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that, so that Sherry would approve what is excellent and that she would be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, that you would fill her with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. To the glory and praise of God, I pray these things for my beloved bride, Sherry, in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Now, what an amazing difference it would make in your personal prayer life and in your community prayer life if you would just salt your prayers with these prayers of Paul for each other. Let him be, take you to the school of prayer and just use his prayers as an outline for your own prayer life. All right, so the second thing we're going to look at this morning is the hope of your calling. The hope of your calling. Now, there's two primary ways that you can use the word hope in a sentence. You can either use it as a verb or a noun. The verb goes like this. I hope so. And in other words, you say things like this. I sure hope you made your bed this morning. Or... I, I hope dinner's going to be ready when I get home tonight. Or you might say, I sure hope I got an A on that test. Or you could say, everybody says this one, I sure hope I'm going to get a raise this year. And so, so when we say it like that as a verb, it's a wish for good things to happen without a full set of confident facts. We don't know all that's going to happen. We don't have control over everything. So it depends on details that we can't manage, and it usually lacks confidence because we just don't know the future. So this kind of hope is a good wish, and it's out there in the future. But then there's another way to use the word hope, and that's to use it as a noun, like in the hope. And, and that's the way it's used in this text. It's, when we use hope as a noun in this way, hope is the full security and foundation and confidence of a known set of facts. That, that's the way it's used in our text and often in the Bible. And, and not only is this hope a noun, but it's a possessive noun. You see, in the gospel, hope is something that you have. It's a gift given to you by God when he calls you. When, when God calls you, when, when he summons you from personally from death to eternal life in his presence, it, it's like Lazarus being called by Jesus from the grave. Child of God, come forth. Be free from slavery to yourself. Be free from slavery to fear of death. Be free from hopelessness. Here is hope. Take it. Own it. Meditate on it. Fully possess it. That's the way Jeremiah talks in the book of Lamentations. Look at this up on your screen, Lamentations 3. He says, but this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. You see, it's a possessive. He has hope. And the steadfast love of Jehovah never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning, he says. Great is your faithfulness. 
And then we know that one from singing the song so often, uh, the old hymn, but I love the next verse is actually my favorite of the verses. He says, Jehovah is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. Now notice in this passage that he starts with the noun and because he possesses hope based on the true facts of the steadfast love of God. And then he uses the word as a verb. But no longer is the object some wishful fantasy for the future based on facts he doesn't know in his circumstances. He uses the word hope as a verb based on sure facts. His hope is a person. It's God himself. It's the Lord Jehovah. And you see, that's gospel grace. In the gospel, hope has a name, and that name is Jesus. Jesus is our hope, and it's a possessive. We have that hope because I am his and he is mine. He's my sure hope. His name is Jesus. Can I get a hallelujah? Hallelujah. That's not very good. Let's try that again. Can I get a hallelujah? Hallelujah. Well, we might become Presbycostals after all. It'll take some more practice, though, I think. So let's, let's talk it out. Listen to these phrases. Jesus is the hope of God's grace and peace for me. All, all I did is take what Andrew's preached in Ephesians 1 and turned it around so I could state it as a verse of hope. Jesus is the hope of God's grace and peace for me. Jesus is the hope that we will be found holy and blameless before God. Hmm. Jesus is the hope that we are adopted as sons of God, men and women alike, all firstborn sons. I don't know how that works, but it does. It's incredible. Jesus is the hope that nothing can separate me from God's love, guaranteed by God's Spirit. Jesus is the hope that when I pray in his name for his glory, for his kingdom to come, that God will do it. It's this hope, you see, that leads Paul to pray and builds a gospel-centered kingdom prayer life for the average believer like you and me. Jesus is the hope that I can love my wife like Jesus loves me. Jesus is the hope that in an upper middle class educated Presbyterian church that we can embrace and welcome marginalized people into the church because God loves last things and lost things and little things and least things and dead things. See, you can do this all day. You don't need me to do it. You could just take every fact that's in the Bible and restate it and say Jesus is the hope that this is true. Can you imagine what this would do for your prayer life if you did it? Or just your meditation on Scripture? Just do this tomorrow when you read through Luke 19. and the, and the Well, I don't think you start that for a week. But whatever you're going to read tomorrow, take it and just restate the facts that are in your Bible reading and say, Jesus is the hope that this is true. So last one. 
Jesus is the hope that we have obtained an inheritance guaranteed by God's Spirit himself. That at the judgment of the second coming, I will be found in the Lamb's book of life and live forever in hope. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right, point number three, the riches of your inheritance. Now, when Sherry and I had children, you know, we've been married for 40 years this year. We, I got married when I was 13, and, and uh, Sherry was just 12. And uh, so, so that makes me younger than Ed Hogan. And so, so when we got married, um, we went to a lawyer, and not, not, not when we got married, you don't do that at first, but after we had children, we went to a lawyer and we made a will choosing who would raise our kids in our absence and putting, because we didn't want a judge to do it, and then putting, a, putting the money in a trust. <coughs> now, they're all grown. It gets split five ways evenly among our five kids. No strings attached for good or bad behavior. Everybody gets a piece together. And you see, that's what God does for us. If you were in the Lamb's book of life, then you get a peace, but not by yourself. You're not a sole inheritor. You get your peace with your brothers and sisters. That's what Paul says. Our inheritance is in the saints. Saints is just a fancy term for believers. We're the holy ones of God, but only holy because he does it. Our hope is Jesus. Jesus is our hope that he'll make us holy. You see how that works? And so, it, and that inheritance is riches beyond imagination, guaranteed by the Holy Spirit. Here's one of my favorite verses in Scripture, Romans 8, verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, that's the father, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give all things? In other words, God's already given us his best gift. Why would he hold back anything else from us? So we get everything. So let's make another list together. They tell you not to do this in a preacher's school, make a bunch of lists because it's boring, but, but, but go with me here. Here's what you get as an adopted firstborn son. Number one, you get Jesus. We get to stop right there. That's the Father's best gift. What makes heaven heaven is that Jesus is there. It's not because your granny's there or, or your Uncle Bob or even your spouse of 40 years. Jesus is there, and that's the only reason it is heaven. And because you get Jesus, you get the whole trinity. You know, the, 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 the easiest way to understand the trinity is to think about love. Love has three parts, right? There's a lover, there's a beloved, and there's the love between them. And it was Augustine, I'm not this clever, it was Augustine who first said this. So the Father is the eternal lover. Jesus, the Son, is the eternal beloved. And the Holy Spirit is the eternal personification of that love. You get that? That's incredible, isn't it? Now, we're in there, aren't we? Do you know where we go? We're part of the beloved. We're not eternal, no. But we are immortal. We don't die. So we're the immortal beloved of the Father. 
united by the Spirit in Christ. Now that's gospel good news, isn't it? This is true now. You don't wait for this. This is the reality for you now. You get eternal life. You get a community of love so that you're never alone. You get a place in the Father's house where there's plenty of room. You get immortality. You're imperishable. You cannot die. You get grace, joy, and peace. And I'm hoping, I'm pretty sure I'm going to get the best job I've ever had when I get to heaven. I don't think my job goes away, I think. But I'll get something Something really good. No more tears. No more death. No more sorrow. No more pain. Now, does this sound okay to you? Yeah, it sounds pretty good, isn't it? You also get answers to your prayers, but you don't have to wait for that either. That's a right now inheritance value. And did I say that you get Jesus? He, he's the pearl of great price that you sell everything you own in order to have him as your chief treasure and lasting treasure and only hope. And Paul says that our inheritance is in the saints. In other words, we get this inheritance together as the people of God right now. We get each other. We we get to love on each other. We get to put up with each other. We, we get to pray gospel-rich prayers together. We get answers from those prayers because the Spirit brings the flame of love and prayer to us as a people praying together. You know, when I lead prayer in a prayer cell or a prayer fellowship or a small group, I never ask for requests. Now, unless you think I'm cold, let me tell you what I do instead. I ask for answers. Because you see, when, people's God, when God's people come together and start sharing answers, they begin to focus on the work of God instead of their own lack. And, and instead of coming together each week and thinking about what God hasn't yet done for you, you get to reflect on all that he has done for you. It's incredible. And when you start doing this in a small group or a prayer, prayer fellowship, it, it becomes people's favorite part is to get together, and I just ask this question. What's God doing this week to answer your prayers? And, and can you share with us any gospel conversations you've had with anybody? And all of a sudden, that changes the whole world because the Spirit intervenes, and you begin to reflect on the hope that you have in Christ and the riches of his glorious inheritance. You see how that works? It's just a simple turn. A healthy prayer life, you see, praying kingdom prayers in intimate fellowship with God and each other is part of the inheritance that you get right now because of our hope in Jesus' name. Isn't that good? But you see, there is bad news. If Jesus is not your only hope in this life, then you will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, I have to give you that warning because the scriptures do. Instead, you'll be stuck in halfway land. A little bit religious, maybe, but still stuck with fear and envy and greed and lies. All middle-class respectable sins, envy, greed, and lies. But, But with no hope. Now, that's bad. 
Is that you this morning? Have you put your trust wholly in Christ yet to be your all in all? If not, I invite you to this morning. But you know, this text is really not about that. The bulk of the bad news in this text is for respectable Christians who are nice and polite and listen to sermons and give their money and don't pray. Is that you? And when you do pray, it's over meals or in a crisis. Listen, a prayerless Christian is not a Christian at all because prayer is the first breath of the child of God. Now, maybe like many churchgoers, you've, you've never been taught to pray the gospel as Paul is praying in this text and, and you haven't experienced God's peace like Jeremiah in the midst of hopeless circumstances. Let me tell you, there's good news for you. It's an incredible good news, beloved. Jesus says, behold, I make all things new. Jesus died on a cross for our sins, even the sin of half-measured religiosity. He even respectable sins, even prayerlessness. And Jesus rose from the dead to give us new life, a guaranteed inheritance and a prayer life which engages the spirit of wisdom and revelation. And not alone, but in the, a community of faithfulness, God's people loving and praying together. It's an incredible good thing. So, I want to invite you today to turn from yourself and trusting in your own strength to get this done, to walk worthy, and instead turn to Christ as your only hope and true foundation, who, who gives a glorious inheritance with a life of spirit-filled, gospel-centered praying, bringing the high heat that makes the gospel work for you and others. Will, will you do it? Today, will you refresh that commitment to trusting Christ? Now, now, maybe you want to pray gospel prayers, but you don't know how. Well, just, just ask your leaders to teach you. I, I, know, I, I know it was Nikki knows how to pray, and I know Weber knows how to pray, and, and I know Pastor Andrew is teaching others on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, aren't you, brother? Yeah, I think only about eight or ten guys in there. There's more guys than that in this room who could be joining him for this Wednesday session of learning how to pray in community, missional community. I, and uh, I know Dr. Hine can pray, and I know Ed Hogan can pray. I imagine Larry Team back there can pray, and they can teach you. Just ask them to teach you how to pray gospel-centered prayers. Let Paul be your teacher. Just open, crack open your Bible and start praying these delicious prayers back to the Lord and pray them for each other and a missionary and a seeker. Do that in your small groups. In fact, many of you are in fellowship groups. In your prayer time, you could start praying the Pauls of Prayer. Open one of them, read it together, and then each of you pray for another person in the group Pray for a missionary you love and pray for a seeker who you want to come to faith. It's really that simple. And you would have incredible prayer times and share answers with each other. Beloved, this is my prayer for you. That God will open the eyes of your heart to the riches of your inheritance 
by filling you with the spirit of wisdom and revelation, that he, that he would enlighten you to the hope that is yours right now in Christ, filled with a life of kingdom prayer, constantly interceding for others with great joy and incredible answers from the Father of glory so that we'll walk worthy together and love one another. Amen? Amen. Now, how's that for a bologna sandwich? <laughs> and that, my friends, is the glorious grace of the gospel. Let's stand for prayer. Our Father, we ask for a spirit of wisdom and revelation that you would drive home the truth of your word, that we belong to you forever and ever and that you belong to us, that hope is ours now, that we have each other now, that everything we need for life and godliness is already worked out for us, that we don't need to wish and wonder if it's going to happen, and that you have the ability to make us a people who constantly pray gospel riches for one another. Would you make it so in this congregation and expound our hope throughout this city? And we pray it in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. amen.